Section fifty five of the Dream of the Red Chamber, Book Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Yu Xing in Singapore. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book Two by Cao Xueqing. Translated by Henry Bancroft Jolly. Chapter fifty two, Part Two. Nothing of any interest worth putting on record transpired during the night. On the morrow, before the break of the day, Xin Wen aroused She Yu. "You should awake," she said. "The only thing is that you haven't had enough sleep. If you go out and tell them to get the water for tea ready for him, while I wake him, it will be all right." She immediately jumped up and threw something over her. "Let's call him to get up and dress in his fine clothes," she said. We can summon them in after this firebox has been removed. The old nurses told us not to allow him to stay in this room for fear the virus of the disease should pass on to him. So now if they see us bundled up together in one place, they are bound to kick up another row. That's my dear too, Simon replied. The two girls were then about to call him when Bobby woke up of his own accord and speedily leaping out of bed, he threw his clothes over him. Shuya first called a young maid into the room and put things shipshape before she told Xin Wen and the other servant girls to enter, and along with them she remained in waiting upon Bao Yu while he combed his hair and washed his face and hands. This part of his toilet over, Shuya remarked, "It's cloudy again, so I suppose it's going to snow. You'd better therefore wear a woolen overcoat." Bao Yu nodded his head approvingly. And set to work at once to effect the necessary change in his costume. A young waiting maid then presented him a covered bowl in a small tea tray containing a decoction made of Fujian lotus and red dates. After Bao Yu had had a couple of mouthfuls, Shuya also brought him a small plateful of brown ginger prepared according to some prescription. Bao Yu put a piece into his mouth and, impressing some advice on Xin Wen. He crossed over to Dowager Lady Jia's suite of rooms. His grandmother had not yet got out of bed, but she was well aware that Bao Yu was going out of doors. So, having the entrance leading into her bedroom open, she asked Bao Yu to walk in. Bao Yu espied behind the old lady Bao Qing lying with her face turned towards the inside, and not awake yet from her sleep. Dowager Lady Jia observed that Bao Yu was clad in a deep red felt fringed overcoat. With woolen lichen-coloured archery sleeves, and with an edging of dark green glossy satin, embroidered with gold rings. What? Old Lady Jia inquired. Is it snowing? The weather is dull, Bao Yu replied. But it isn't snowing yet. Dowager Lady Jia thereupon sent for Yunyang and told her to fetch the peacock down police, finished the day before, and give it to him. Yunyang signified her obedience and went off. And actually returned with what was wanted. When Bao Yu came to survey it, he found that the green and golden hues glistened with bright luster, that the jade-like variegated colors on it shone with splendor, and that it bore no resemblance to the duck-down cloak which Bao Qing had been wearing. This, he heard his grandmother smilingly remark, is called bird gold. This is woven of the down of peacocks caught in Russia. Twisted into thread, the other day I presented that one with the wild duck down to a young female cousin, 
So I now give you this one. Bobby prostrated himself before her, after which he threw the coat over his shoulders. Go and let your mother see it before you start, his grandmother laughingly added. Bao assented and quitted her apartments when he caught sight of Yuanyang standing below, rubbing her eyes. Ever since the day on which Yuanyang had sworn to have done with the match, she had not exchanged a single word with Bao Yu. Bao Yu was therefore day and night a prey to dejection. So when he now observed her shook his presence again, Bao Yu at once advanced up to her and, putting on a smile, "My dear girl," he said, "do you look at the coat I've got on." Is it nice or not? Yuanyang shoved his hand away and promptly walked into Dowager Lady Jia's quarters. Bao Yu was thus compelled to repair to Madame Wang's room and let her see his coat. Repressing afterwards his footsteps into the garden, he let Xing Wen and Shi Yue also have a look at it, and then came and told his grandmother that he had attended to her wishes. My mother, he added, has seen what I've got on, but all she said was, "What a pity." And then she went on to enjoin me to be careful with it and not to spoil it. There only remains this single one, old Lady Jia observed. So if you spoil it, you can't have another. Even did I want to have one made for you like it now, it would be out of the question. At the close of these words, she went on to advise him. Don't, she said, have too much wine, and come back early. Bao Yu acquiesced by uttering several yeses. An old nurse then followed him out into the pavilion. Here they discovered six attendants: Bao Yu's milk brother Li Gui, and Wang Rong, Zhang Ruojing, Zhao Yihua, Qian Sheng, and Zhou Rei, as well as four young servant lads: Bei Ming, Ban He, Chu Yao, and Sao Hong. Some carrying bundles of clothes on their backs, some holding cushions in their hands. Others leading a white horse with engraved saddle and variegated bridles, they had already been waiting for a good long while. The old nurse went on to issue some directions, and the six servants, hastily expressing their obedience by numerous yeses, quickly caught hold of the saddle and weighed the stirrup down while Bao Yu mounted leisurely. Li Gui and Wang Rong then led the horse by the bit. Two of them, Qian Sheng and Zhou Rei. Walked ahead and showed the way. Zhang Ruojing and Zhao Yihua followed Bao Yu closely on each side. Brother Zhou and Brother Qian, Bao Yu smiled from his seat on his horse. Let's go by this side gate. It will save my having again to dismount when we reach the entrance to my father's study. Mister Jia Zhong is not in his study. Zhou Rei laughed with a courtesy. It has been daily under lock and key. So there will be no need for you, Master, to get down from your horse. Though it be locked up, Bao Yu smiled. I shall have to dismount all the same. You're quite right in what you say, Master. Both Qian Sheng and Li Gui chimed in laughingly. But pretend you're lazy and don't get down. In the event of our coming across Mister Lai Da and now Number Two, Mister Lin, they're sure rather awkward though it be for them to say anything to their master. Just under you one or two words of advice. But throw the whole of the blame upon us. You can also tell them that we had not explained to you what was the right thing to do. Zhou Rei and Qian Sheng accordingly wended their steps straight for the side gate, but while they were keeping up some sort of conversation, they came face to face with Lai Da on his way in. 
Pao Yu speedily pulled in his horse with the idea of dismounting, but Lai Da hastened to draw near and to clasp his leg. Pao Yu stood up on his stirrup and, putting on a smile, he took his hand in his and made several remarks to him. In quick succession, he also perceived a young servant lad make his appearance inside, leading the way for twenty or thirty servants laden with brooms and dust baskets. The moment they espied Pao Yu, they, one and all, stood along the wall and dropped their arms against their sides, with the exception of the head lad, who, bending one knee, said, My obeisance to you, sir. Pao Yu could not recall to his mind his name or surname, but forcing a faint smile, he nodded his head to and fro. It was only when the horse had well gone past that the lad eventually let the bevy of servants off and that they went after their business. Presently, they egressed from the side gate. Outside stood the servant lads of the six domestics, the Yigui and his companions, as well as several grooms, who had, from an early hour, got ready about ten horses and been standing, on special duty, waiting for their arrival. As soon as they reached the further end of the side gate, the Yigui and each of the other attendants mounted their horses and pressed ahead to lead the way. Like a streak of smoke, they got out of sight without any occurrence worth noticing. Qing Wen, meanwhile, continued to take her medicines, but still she experienced no relief in her ailment. Such was the state of exasperation into which she worked herself that she abused the doctor right and left. All he's good for, she cried, is to squeeze people's money, but he doesn't know how to prescribe a single dose of efficacious medicine for his patients. You have far too impatient a disposition, Shuya said as she advised her with a smile. A disease, the proverb has it, comes like a crumbling mountain and goes like silk that is reeled. Besides, they're not the divine pills of lodging. However could there be such efficacious medicines? The only thing for you to do is to quietly look after yourself for several days and you're sure to get all right. But the more you work yourself into such a frenzy, the worse you get. Qin Wen went on to heap abuse on the head of the young maids. Where have they gone? Have they bored into the sand? She ejaculated. They see well enough that I'm ill, so they make bold and run away. But by and by, when I recover, I shall take one by one of you and play or skim off for you. Dinger, a young maid, was struck with dismay and ran up to her with hasty step. Miss, she inquired, what's up with you? Is it likely that the rest are all dead and gone, and that there only remains but you? Xin Wen exclaimed. But while she spoke, she saw Dreyer also slowly enter the room. Look at this vixen, Xin Wen shouted. If I don't ask for her, she won't come. Had there been any monthly allowances issued and fruits distributed here, you would have been the first to run in. But approach a bit. Am I tigress to gobble you up? Dreyer was under the necessity of advancing a few steps nearer to her. But, all of a sudden, Siwen stooped forward, and with a dash clutching her hand, she took a long pink from the side of her pillow and pricked it at random all over. What's the use of such paws? she railed at her. They don't ply a needle, and they don't touch any thread. All you're good for is to prick things to stuff that mouth of yours with. 
the skin of your fizz is shallow and those pores of yours are light but with the shame you bring upon yourself before the world isn't it right that i should prick you and make mincemeat of you Dreer shouted so wildly from pain that Shuri stepped forward and immediately drew them apart. She then pressed Xing Wen until she induced her to lie down. You're just perspiring, she remarked, and here you are once more bent upon killing yourself. Wait until you're yourself again. One should then be able to give her as many blows as you may like. What's the use of kicking up all this fuss just now? Xing Wen bade a servant to tell Nurse Song to come in. Our master Secundus, Mr. Bao Yu, recently asked me to tell you, she remarked on her arrival, that Dreyer is very lazy. He himself gives her orders to her very face, but she is ever ready to raise objections and not to budge. Even when Xiren bids her to do things, she vilifies her behind her back. She must absolutely therefore be packed off today. And if Mr. Bao himself lays the matter tomorrow before Madame Wang, things will be square. After listening to her grievances, Nurse Song readily concluded in her mind that the affair of the bracelet had come to be known. What you suggest is well and good, it's true, she consequently smiled, but it's as well to wait until Miss Hua returns and hear about the things. We can then give her the sack. Mr. Bao urgently enjoined this today. Xing Wen pursued. So what about Miss Hua and Miss Cao? We've, of course, got the rules of propriety here, so you just do as I tell you, and be quick and send for someone from her house to come and fetch her away. Well, now let's drop this, Shuri interposed. Whether she goes soon or whether she goes late is one and the same thing, so let them take her away soon. We'll then be the sooner clear of her. At these words, Nurse Song had no alternative but to step out and send for her mother. When she came, she got readily all her effects, and then came to see Xin Wen and the other girls. Young ladies, she said, what's up? If your niece doesn't behave as she ought to, why, call her to account. But why banish her from this place? You should, indeed, leave us a little face. As regards to what you say, Xiuwen put in, wait until Bao Yu comes, and then we can ask him. It's nothing to do with us. The woman gave a sardonic smile. Have I got the courage to ask him? she answered. In what matter doesn't he lend an ear to any settlement you, young ladies, may propose? He invariably agrees to all you say. But if you, young ladies, aren't agreeable, it's really of no avail. When you, for example, spoke just now, it's true that it was on the sly. You called him straight away by his name, miss. This does very well with you, young ladies. But were we to do anything of the kind, we'd be looked upon as very savages. Xin Wen, upon hearing her remark, became more than ever exasperated and got crimson in the face. Yes, I called him by his name, she rejoined. So you'd better go and report me to our old lady and Madame Wang. Tell them I'm a rustic, and let them send me two off. Sister-in-law, urged Shuri, just you take her away, and if you've got aught to say, you can say it by and by. Is this a place for you to ball in and try and explain what is right? Whom have you seen discourse upon the rules of propriety with us? Not to speak of you, sister-in-law, 
even Mrs. Lida and Mrs. Lin treat us fairly well. And as for calling him by his name, why, from days of yore to the very present, our dowager mistress has invariably bidden us do so. You yourselves are well aware of it. So much did she fear that it would be a difficult job to rear him, that she deliberately wrote his infant name on slips of paper, and had them stuck everywhere and anywhere, with a design that one and all should call him by it. And this, in order that it might exercise a good influence upon his bringing up. Even water coolies and scavenger coolies indiscriminately address him by his name. And how much more such as we? So late, in fact, as yesterday, Mrs. Ling gave him, but one is the title of sir, and our old mistress called even her to task. This is one side of the question. In the next place, we all have to go and make frequent reports to our venerable dowager lady and Madame Wang, and don't we, with them, allude to him by name in what we have to say? Is it likely we'd also style him sir? What day is there that we don't utter the two words by you two hundred times? And is it for you, sister-in-law, to come and pick out this fort? But in a day or so, when you've leisure to go to our old mistress and Madame Wang's, you'll hear us call him by name in their very presence, and then you'll feel convinced. You've never, sister-in-law, had occasion to fulfil any honourable duties by our old lady and our lady. From one year's end to the other, all you do is to simply loaf outside the third door. So it's no matter of surprise if you don't happen to know anything of the customs which prevail with us inside. But this isn't a place where you, sister-in-law, can linger for long. In another moment, there won't be any need for us to say anything, for someone will be coming to ask you what you want, and what excuse you will be able to plead. So take her away, and let Mrs. Lin know about it, and commission her to come and find our Mr. Secundus and tell him all. There are in this establishment over a thousand inmates, one comes and another comes, so that though we know people and acquire their names, we can't nevertheless imprint them clearly on our minds. At the close of this long rigmarole, she at once told a young maid to take the mop and wash the floors. The woman listened patiently to her arguments, but she could find no words to say anything to her by way of reply, nor did she have the audacity to protract her stay. So flying into a huff, she took Dreyer along with her, and there and then made her way out. Is it likely, Nansong hastily observed, that a dame like you doesn't know what manners mean? Your daughter has been in these rooms for some time, so she should, when she's about to go, knock her head before the young ladies. She has no other means of showing her gratitude. Not that they care much about such things, yet were she to simply knock her head, she would acquit herself of her duty, if nothing more. But how is it that she says I'm going, and off she falls with rushes? Drea overheard these words, and felt under the necessity of turning back. Entering therefore the apartment, she prostrated herself before the two girls, and then she went in quest of Chowen and her companions, but neither did they pay any notice whatever to her. Hi, ejaculated the woman, and heaving a sigh, for she did not venture to utter a word, she walked off, fostering a grudge in her heart. Qing Wen had, while suffering from a cold, got into a fit of anger into the bargain, so instead of being better, she was worse, and she tossed and rolled 
until the time came for lighting the lamps but the moment she felt more at ease she saw pao yu come back as soon as he put his foot inside the door he gave way to an exclamation and stamped his foot what's the reason of such behaviour shuya promptly asked him my old grandmother pao yu explained was in such capital spirits that she gave me this coat today but who would have thought it i inadvertently burnt part of the back label fortunately however the evening was advanced so that neither she nor my mother noticed what had happened speaking the while he took it off shui yue on inspection found indeed a hole burnt in it of the size of a finger this she said must have been done by some spark from the hand stove it's of no consequence immediately she called a servant to her take this out on the sly she bade her and let an experienced weaver patch it it will be all right then so saying she packed it up in a wrapper and the nurse carried it outside it should be ready by daybreak she urged and by no means let our old lady or madame wang know anything about it the matron brought it back again after protracted absence not only she explained have weavers first half tailors and embroiderers but even those who do women's work been asked about it and they all have no idea what this is made of none of them therefore will venture to undertake the job what's to be done shuya inquired but it won't matter if you don't wear it to-morrow to-morrow is the very day of the anniversary pao yu rejoined grandmother and my mother bade me put this on and go and pay my visit and here i go and burn it on the first day i wear it now isn't it enough to throw a damper over my good cheer Wen lent an ear to their conversation for a long time until unable to restrain herself she twisted herself round bring it here she chimed in and let me see it you haven't been lucky in wearing this but never mind these words were still on Wen's lips when the coat was handed to her this is made Wen observed of gold thread spun from peacock's feathers so for we now to also take gold thread twisted from the feathers of the peacock and darn it closely by imitating the woof i think it will pass without detection the peacock feather thread is ready at hand she remarked smilingly but who's there exclusive of you able to join the threads i'll needless to say do my level best to the very cost of my life and finish Wen added however could this do pao yu eagerly interposed you are just slightly better and how could you take up any needlework you needn't go on in this chicken-hearted way Wen cried i know my own self well enough with this reply she sat up and putting her hair up she threw something over her shoulders her head felt heavy her body light before her eyes confusedly flitted golden stirs in real deed she could not stand the strain but when inclined to give up the work she again dreaded that pao yu would be driven to despair she therefore had perforce to make a supreme effort and setting her teeth to she bore the exertion all the help she asked of shu yu was to lend her a hand in reeling the thread Wen first took hold of a thread and put it side by side with those in the police to compare the two together 
this she remarked isn't quite like them but when it's patched up with it it won't show very much it will do very well pao yu said kuwen also go and hunt up a russian tailor Wen commenced by unstitching the lining and inserting under it a bamboo bow off the side of the mouth of a teacup she bound it tight at the back she then turned her mind to the full size of the aperture and these she loosened by scratching them with a golden knife making next two stitches across with a needle she marked out the warp and woof and following the way the threads were joined she first and foremost connected the foundation and then keeping to the original lines she went backwards and forwards mending the hole passing her work after every second stitch under further review but she did not ply her needle three to five times before she lay herself down on her pillow and indulged in a little rest pao yu was standing by her side now he inquired of her whether she would like a little hot water to drink later on he asked her to repose herself now he seized a grey squirrel wrapper and threw it over her shoulders shortly after he took a pillow and propped her up the way he fussed so exasperated xin wen that she bragged and entreated him to leave off my junior ancestor she exclaimed do you go to bed and sleep if you sit up for another half of the night your eyes will tomorrow look as if they had been scooped out and what good will possibly come out of that Bai realized her state of exasperation and felt compelled to come and lie down anyhow but he could not again close his eyes in a little while she heard the clock strike four and just managing to finish she took a small toothbrush and rubbed up to the pile that will do shuya put in one couldn't detect it unless one examines it carefully Bai asked with alacrity to be allowed to have a look at it really he smiled it's quite the same thing Xiuwen coughed and coughed time after time, so it was only after extreme difficulty that she succeeded in completing what she had to patch. It's mended, it's true, she remarked, but it does not, after all, look anything like it. Yet I cannot stand the effort any more. As she shouted, Ayah, she lost control over herself and dropped down upon the bed. But, reader, if you choose to know anything more of her state, Peruse the next chapter. End of section 55. Recording by Cao Yuqing in Singapore.